So Terry asked me to speak today on, um, as disciples of Jesus, why we should love the scriptures. You know, as many of you have witnessed, that I often cry up here as I'm reading the scriptures. And I came across, this is one of my favorite quotes from Frederick Buechner, and I thought, I think this is actually, this, this is a piece of it. He says, you never know what may cause tears. The sight of the Atlantic Ocean can do it, or a piece of music. A face you've never seen before, a pair of somebody's old shoes. You can never be sure. But of this you can be sure. Whenever you find tears in your eyes, especially unexpected tears, it's well to pay the closest attention. They're not only telling you something about the secret of who you are, but more often than not, God is speaking. He's speaking to you through them of the mystery of where you've come from and is summoning he is summoning you to where, if your soul is to be saved, you should go next. And I feel like when I read the scriptures, there's so much of that in me. And I feel like it is often the Holy Spirit speaking to my heart about where I've come from and yet where he wants me to go. Um, I want to start... Again, another favorite Frederick Buechner quote is, listen to your life. Something he says all the time, listen to your life. And so I wanna begin with just a couple of questions. You don't have to answer out loud. If anybody wants, I just tore up some of my notes. If anybody needs a piece of paper and you want to write something down, you're not gonna share this with anybody. mental note, take mental note and leave it at that. But it's there if you want a hard copy. Um, it's, it, there's no right or wrong answers to this, but I feel like sometimes, especially when we're talking about a subject that most of us in here have had a, a fairly long history with the scriptures in some way, shape, or form. And so I kind of wanted to just start with listening to our lives, like having us each take a moment to think about what we already think and feel about this um, before we sort of journey on together. So the first question is, and again, we're just going to take a few minutes, think to yourself, what words would you describe your relationship with the scriptures? So what words would you use to name your personal relationship with the scriptures? Do you, do you even have one? If you don't, that's okay too. You, you might not. Um, if your mind draws a blank, that's okay too. Get a couple words to describe that relationship. And then what are, what are some key moments or events that have been shaped by scripture in your life? some key moments, whether it's somebody who prayed a scripture over you, somebody wrote a letter with a scripture at a significant point in your life. Um, if you 
randomly open the book and all of a sudden look down and saw a scripture that's become your life verse, just a, a key moments events that have been shaped by scriptures. And then how authoritative are the scriptures in your life? And, and it's really okay if your answer is not really at all. Um, if that is the answer, just maybe give some thought to what, what do I give authority to my life? Or, or what, what do I allow to have authority over my life? Does that make sense? So if, it's, if it is the scriptures, if it's not, what, what do I allow to have authority in my life? And what are some absolutes in scripture for you? So I know as a, as a church, as a community, um, we have a certain stance on the scriptures, but I, I want you to really search your own heart. What are some absolutes in scripture for you? Some absolute beliefs. And then and maybe what are some, some muddy spaces in scripture for you? What are some muddy areas that you're like, I actually, I, I don't know entirely um, if I can stand firm on this. And then lastly, why should we love the scriptures? I just want to know, just think to yourself for a minute, what would your answer be? At this moment of time, why should we as disciples love the scriptures? And then kind of press into, and, and am I convicted by that answer? Take your answer and just do a moment of reflection. Does my conviction, does my answer lead me to action? Currently, does my response to why we should love the, the scriptures, does it actually convict me enough to lead me into action? <clears throat> so again, I just kind of wanted... I wanted to kind of get our minds thinking but of where we are individually with this. Because um, at the end of the day, this, this really comes down to you and God and your heart and your day-to-day -day practice. Um, and then we're gonna check back in at the end of this and see where we've come. Um, so this book, Unbreakable, was extremely helpful. And I, I had picked it up long ago and Terry gave it to me, not long ago, but when he had first given it to me and it kind of, it was interesting, but it was very interesting in light of giving this talk. And one of the things at the very beginning of this 
First of all, it's called unbreakable. What the Son of God said about the Word of God. So basically, what Jesus said about the Word of God, about the Bible. Um, pick it up. It'll take you an hour and a half max if you're a fast reader, even less than that, um, in an evening. But he basically said at the beginning, he's like, he gives three examples of how if there's a book or a podcast or a sermon on the Bible, generally they proceed in one of these fashions. One of them being they often start with the questions and the problems that people have with the Bible and then go through them one by one, however he said, we risk putting ourselves on the defensive and thinking our questions are the most important thing on the table, and they aren't. So he says, so that's not how I'm going to go through this book. And the second example he says is others begin with what the Bible says about the Bible. And I got to be honest, I think that's where I would have started had I not had this book. And said, so you trust reason because it's rational, and you trust experience because it fits with your experience, and you trust the Bible because it's biblical and so on. However, this approach can look suspiciously, suspiciously random because um, why didn't we start with the Quran or some other book with our ultimate authority? Um, thirdly, he said, which is the direction he goes with this book, is instead, let's start with Jesus as the starting point. Ultimately, our trust in the Bible starts with our trust in Jesus. He said, I don't trust in Jesus because I trust in the Bible. I trust in the Bible because I trust in Jesus. And I love him and follow him. So I want to love and I want to follow what he does. And I thought, okay, I, I can start. I, I can go from there. And I, it reminded me, I feel like, Tara, you often say the whole, um, like when people who say, I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm a disciple, I'm a Christian, and yet I have nothing or want nothing to do with the church. It's like, wait a minute, but Jesus loves the church. So how, how, how can you love Jesus and not love the church? Like they, they go together. Um, and so I, I think that that is how the Bible works as well. <laughs> Jesus loved the scriptures and he has a heart for that, and I'm going to go through in a little bit um, some of his, some of the examples in the Bible of just what his thoughts are and how he used it and what his feelings were towards it. Um, but that's kind of how I want to guide just our, our time together in this talk. Um, I had to, I, I struggled a little bit at the get-go with this sort of formulating thoughts because my, my relationship with scriptures has not necessarily been an uphill battle. Um, I, from a really early age, was read the scriptures. I was literally, as I walked out the door, I was yelled scriptures. <laughs> My dad would literally yell every morning, let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck and write them on the tablets of your heart, as we were like literally half a block away on our way to school. <laughs> so, those things were just, they were like integrated into my everyday actions and rituals and habits. Um, my dad would literally sit on the toilet as teenagers while we were doing our hair and putting on our makeup and make up songs to scripture with us. During the summers, we would have like certain passages that he would have us memorize and he would make up his own tunes. This was like way before Seeds Family Worship or any of that. Um, so they, they were sung to me, they were spoken over me, and um, honestly, I, I think it felt like a way, a way to goodness that was 
genuinely inviting to me. Like the scriptures were a way to just life's goodness and God's goodness. Um, I think that they felt like almost like a, a gesture of love for me to do of like, okay, God, I'll meet you here. I'll read these scriptures. And, um, it was funny, but as I was praying about this, I had a, an old photograph come to mind. I think they made me feel a little bit grown up too. Um, there's a picture of me probably around four and I'm sitting practically naked on the toilet, just the underwear pulled down with my mom's high heels on, which I stole all the time. And I literally have my legs crossed, nudie with the Bible and a pen. And I'm like underlining things as a kid. And as funny as that sounds, I was imitating what I saw. <laughs> my parents had their Bibles all the time with them, particularly in the bathroom. Um, I even remember having, yes, they had their clothes on. <laughs> but like there were, be, there were pieces of toilet paper as page markers in my dad's Bible. Um, so, <laughs> so I'm just saying this was something from an early age that I feel like I understood. Maybe, I didn't understand that I understood this yet, but it was something I was imitating. I was imitating God's word and how it was used and where I saw it and its presence. I'm also someone who's really drawn in by story. Um, when I read the scriptures, I think, I know most of you have heard me say this, but I'm like, these are my people. Like, this is my heritage, my lineage. Like, these are my people. And um, I often say too that I'm like, I want my kids as we get older to like sit around the table and just like we tell stories about the uncle who caught the five foot fish on the Alaska boating trip. I want us to talk about Jonah of like, hey, do you remember when he did that crazy thing? And I still can't figure out why did he do this? But isn't that amazing how such and such happened? Like these are our these are our people. And I found this scripture is Psalm 78 three. I just love this because I feel like this is the heart. It says, stories we have heard and known, stories our ancestors handed down to us will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord and about his power and his mighty wonders. That's what I want. Like, that's how I feel when I read the stories in the Bible. And I think, I mean, this the story is messy, messy, messy. But it is the story of God and his creation of man, his interaction with man, and then the story of his son and the way he uses the Holy Spirit to surprise us when we read the word of God, to interact with us, to shape us, to transform us. I mean, Jesus was a lover of story too, right? We just did the whole parable series. I mean, he taught in story and, and God chose a book. He chose to leave us with a book. Um, that still sort of baffles me. I know I've read at different points in time too that like in some cultures that would be really offensive in certain religions that, that God or the deity would like, basically lower himself to like be put in written form but our God he left us an entire book for us that is alive it is active and it speaks to us and it moves us um 
One last thing on stories. This is another Beekner quote. It said, my story is important, not because it is mine, God knows, <laughs> but because if I tell it, right. The chances are you'll recognize that in many ways it's yours too. It is precisely through these stories and all their particularity, as I've long believed and often said, that God makes himself known to each of us more powerfully and personally. If this is true, it means that to lose track of our stories is to be profoundly impoverished, not only humanly, but also spiritually. So these stories in the Bible, they're not just something. Like, there are stories too. And when we read it, we relate to these people because we find our stories in their stories. And I love what he says, that to lose track of those, we're impoverished. That's, that's, a, that's a pretty big deal. Um, and Terry has often, often remembered, but I feel like one of the reasons I feel like we should love the scriptures is to remember. And these stories in the Bible help us remember. They help us remember the character of God, who he is, how he has been faithful, time and time and time and time and time again. And I think I'm so moved that if he would do that thing, intervene or act in that way for that person, like I, obviously we're all unique, we're all individual, but he will come and do that same thing for me. It may look differently, but he will do that for me. I don't, I don't know how you can't be moved by that. <laughs> um, There's, okay, this is another Beekner thing. I'm, I'm going to shorten it. But in, in short, it's called The Two Stories. And again, it's talking about that not only do we humans share a common story with one another, but God willing, we share it with Christ. <laughs> it says, yet they meet as well as diverge. Our stories and his. And even when they diverge, it's his they diverge from. So that by his absence, as well as by his presence in our lives, we know who he is and who we are and who we are not. And then later on it just says, and who knows, but that in the end, by God's mercy, the two stories will converge for good and all. And though we would never have had the courage or the faith or the wit to die for him any more than we have ever managed to live for him, his story will come true in us at last. So again, these scriptures, it's our story and it's our story wrapped up with Christ. <laughs> we share a story and through the scriptures, we understand how the story that he wants for us will come true. And I'm like, again, that's beautiful. That is powerful. Um, now, I think we've all had a moment where we've read the scriptures and there are shifts in the story, right? Like, there are a lot of shifts, <laughs> but I, like circumcision being one, in the Old Testament, it was essential. It was essential for God's chosen people to be circumcised. And then there's a shift in the New Testament, all of a sudden, totally unnecessary. <laughs> um, dietary restrictions in the Old Testament, totally shift in the New Testament. 
Um, These shifts in the story don't mean the story can't find a direction or can stick to it. And I often think when people are reading the scriptures, that's sort of a hiccup for people. Um, It doesn't mean that right or wrong don't exist or simply that every choice is equally wonderful. But I think it's really clear when we read in the scriptures that there is motion in the kingdom of heaven. There's motion. It's not static. And at times, the motion of how God is working, how his Holy Spirit is just moving in people's hearts and people's lives, it can be scandalous. I keep thinking of when Jesus turned over the money-changing tables right, in the temple, I had a friend once say, oh my goodness, we would have sent him to anger management classes if Jesus were to do that today. Like, it was scandalous, and yet Jesus healed. He healed on the Sabbath. Again, he did something that nobody would have, like, said this is right. But there's motion in the kingdom of heaven, and these stories, the one that Jesus tells, and the life story he lived when he was here on earth, I just feel like it shows me that God's work is constantly expanding and it's not limiting. God understands our humanity and I think he embraces it in our ever-increasing diversity. He created our diversity. And the main storyline, Jesus coming as our Savior, is the one, I just, it feels alive. It feels alive with love. And I just want you to pause for a minute. When you think of that storyline, Jesus coming to earth as our Savior. What do you feel? What are your heart's emotions? What does your mind think? When I did that exercise of questions for myself, um, one of the words that came to mind for me was connection. That, that describes my relationship to the, to the scriptures. And I, I just, I love how connected our stories with one another are. Um, my connection to my creator, to my friend, my connection to a history and timeline far beyond, far beyond my little limited lifetime. lifetime. Connection to just my life how I live it, the relationships that I have. Connection, I love, I love studying scriptures in groups. I mean, that probably doesn't surprise you about me, but (laughs) seriously, there's something so beautiful about having other people's eyes and ears. We need that. It helps keeps it alive. I think it helps keeps it dynamic. Um, And another word was humbling. I think the commands in the Bible, they're humbling. The stories, Jesus' life, it's humbling. Another word, just phrase I wrote down, was that I feel like scriptures echo in me, in my mind, in my body, at moments of difficulty and moments of celebration. They were planted in me. 
when I memorize them and I just feel like they bloom over and over and over as I continue to experience life. It's funny, as a kid, I, I really didn't like memorization. In fact, I was part of Awana, and I'm super not competitive, and so I hated Awana. <laughs> but it did force me to memorize a lot of scriptures, and as though, as irritated I was with it as a child, as an adult, um, I am so grateful for that. Um, I feel like when you have memorized something, it does a deeper work in you than you could consciously or cognitively on your own. Um, I feel like it does work without even seeking it out. They just develop a richer and a deeper meaning because they live in us. This might be a little much for some of you, but I do love to meditate and to just to literally chew on scripture. I've literally practiced chewing the words of a verse. And when I was doing a a program in the expressive arts therapy, we had an assignment to use some of the methodologies um, in our own sort of personal walk and and way. And, um, And then we had to sort of like do it and practice it with others and then come back and sort of report our experience. And so I actually got a group of friends from college and we lived all over the country, so everybody was in a different place. Um, But we practiced this sort of little, well, you'll see, with scripture. So first, we had a weekly scripture, and each person was would assign one, and it was short. And we would start by reading the scripture and just drawing it, asking God to give us an image as we read it, whether it was a personal image, whether it was an abstract image, whether it was something very specific, and we would draw that image. And then after we'd drawn it, we would repeat it. And we had to repeat it at least five times. So the idea being like we were just letting the scripture wash over us. So there was drawing it, repeating it, and then digesting it. And to digest it, we would literally imagine his word, the scripture, present inside our being as a way to practice the presence of God with us and in us, abiding with him, the scripture in us, in our actual physical being. And then lastly, we would move it. So again, we were to get up, and again, we were alone generally, and, but it was, is there like a gesture? Is there some kind of gesture that this sort of moves me to make? Or some kind of repeated pattern or a posture that I want to physically go into after reading the scripture? Um, so I think for me, scripture is something to be embodied. And that can look all kinds of different ways. I just threw an example, but um, I think that The scriptures are something to embody. Um, I think key moments as a parent for me, um, it's been, it's, (laughs) I think the, the pressure to, to love and to care for and to 
teach and to instruct someone on an hourly basis. I have clung to scripture more than I ever had. Um, Ruby, I know it, it, when she was little, her favorite worship song was Bless the Lord. And I'm, I'm not joking because the child never slept. We would sing it thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands times. And, um, but the line, like, he's rich in love and he's slow to anger. I can't tell you how many times that would come when I would hear her screaming. <laughs> and it was like the 10th time that it would wake up. And I feel like scripture became something that I clung to and could not live without. Um, my sister, it was really interesting when I asked her about her relationship with the scriptures. She said, you know, I, I have such a distinct moment of, of a memory when she was one of those kids, she loved summer camp. And um, she, of course, as soon as she was old enough, became a camp counselor. And so she said, but I remember having this moment. My sister is incredibly bright and brilliant and um, able to memorize and talk about any subject under the sun. And she said, I had so much scripture memorized and I had so much Bible knowledge. But all of a sudden, at like age 15, I realized, oh my goodness, like I, I, I don't, I don't, there's like this chasm between like the knowledge that I have and, and what I actually do with it. And she was like, I, I knew how deeply I cared for and loved my experience as a, as a, as a camper. And so she thought, I just all of a sudden had this new responsibility as these, these little kids counselor. And I felt like I need to, I, I need to read this. I need to know this. I need to like communicate with God about this. And, um, and just so that she knew how to daily apply it. And I feel like that's such a great example. There are moments that we recognize there's this chasm between our knowledge and our ability to walk that knowledge out. Or how little we're actually communicating with God about the knowledge that he's given us. And asking him and saying, what do you want me to do with this? What do you, what do you want to teach me? Um, How y'all doing? Are you hot? Are you tired? It's warm. Yeah? Do you need to, like, stand up for a minute? You need to wiggle? <laughs> okay. Um, I'm going to shorten this one little section, and then we'll get to the end. But um, some of the things in this book that, again, I want to encourage you to go back and read about just what Jesus says about the word. Um Jesus believed in the authority of scripture. It's really beautiful. He gives some examples of how Jesus used scripture to fight. Like he used it to fight Satan. And over and over and over, he says, as it is written, it is written, it is written. That is what Jesus uses as his ammo. <laughs> it is written. This is what the scriptures say. And that is what I'm going to shoot back at you. Um, I just, I love that. And he writes, he has every resource, every resource in the universe under heaven. And the weapon he chooses is scripture. And he's confident that the scripture is enough. He says, bread alone doesn't satisfy, but the word of God does. We're just like, bam, yes. <laughs> um, and it says, Jesus seems... Jesus, it seems, loved the word of God with his heart, 
being satisfied with it, his mind understanding it, and his will obeying it. And if that was true of Jesus, I really want it to be true of me. Jesus believed the scriptures were unbreakable. Um, I felt like growing up, my dad would often say, don't play the blame-shame game. That was like a big phrase in our family. And essentially, it was like, take responsibility for yourself and your own actions. Don't immediately start pointing the finger and blaming and shaming. And um, I feel like so often in our humanity, we feel like scripture is broken in some way um, because we don't understand it. Um, But Jesus said it's it's unbreakable. <laughs> and I feel like we often um, conclude that if we can't figure out what it means, that, again, there's something wrong with it. Something got missed or got miswritten or misunderstood or muddled or there's a mistake. And um, basically, Andrew Wilson says, maybe there's something that we don't know. Maybe the answer is in there, and we just need to look harder. Maybe we're the ones who are broken rather than the Bible. And I feel like we like to play the blame-shame game (laughs) with the Bible (laughs) instead of looking at our own brokenness. I think one way to go about that is to just, in our reading, is to say, Lord, what do you want to teach me? Where do I need to grow? Holy Spirit, guide me. He also writes, as we talked about, and we've kind of touched on this, just that Jesus is the center of the scriptures. I love this quote. It says, Jesus is the great subject matter and the focal point of the entire Bible. He's the training wheels by which you first learn to ride. He's the destination toward which you aim. He's the roots that give life and support to the tree. And he's the branches that sprout outwards high in the sky. But different texts reveal Christ in different ways. Every scriptural text is predictive of the work of Christ, preparatory of the work of Christ, and reflective of his work. Um, He gives an example in this book of how after Jesus was resurrected, he said, he came to being, he came back to life. And instead of this sort of like flashy fanfare, um, triumphant return, he actually just like sidled up to his friends as they were walking the dusty road home. And then he walked them through a little bit of a Bible study and tore some bread in half and then vanished into thin air after dinner. (laughs) And instead of doing something flashy and fantastic, but he says, Wilson says that the reason he revealed himself like this is that he actually wanted to take the disciples through the scriptures. It was so important that they understood the scriptures. They understood the story. They were clear on this is what this is about. Make sure you haven't forgotten. And I just thought that was beautiful. That was such a beautiful reminder. Jesus had to do that even after this amazing thing. He just rose from the dead. He still was like, and let's go back to the scriptures. I think Jesus believed that 
the scriptures were clear. Um, I think sometimes some of our love for the scriptures or we've got to love, we're on fire, and then we hit a spot that feels a little bumpy or that we don't understand because it's unclear. And we either don't like to not know what's going on, we don't like to not understand something, or it feels threatening to us. Um, I loved this. He said, whenever I feel discouraged, this is again from the book, whenever I feel discouraged about the disagreements amongst believers about scripture, I go and I read the Nicene Creed. Isn't that genius? He said, then it reminds me of all the things that we actually do agree upon. And um, we all agree, though, I think here in this room, that we're broken and that we're sinful. Um, So one of the points he brings up is, in those moments where, where we hit something that is unclear, what a great opportunity to again say, God, is it my pride? Is it my rebellion? Is it arrogance? Is it just some hard-heartedness? And please help me recognize what's in my own heart so I can see your word for what it is. I feel like Terry has been, we've sort of been conversing every few days over an area that I think 15 years ago you felt very strong and very certain about. And slowly God is sort of moving some things in your heart. And I feel like it is a journey (laughs) and God is alive. The spirit moves. The Bible is alive. So it can continue to move with us in our journey. Um, I'm going to read a little story from Brennan Manning because I think this is a great example. Again, when I think about what keeps us from being intimate with the scriptures, what keeps us from holding back is um, just our passion for it, our passion for Jesus. Right? I mean, would you not agree with me? Yeah? What keeps you every day? I know busyness is a part of it, but what keeps you from loving the scripture? It's because our love is somewhere else. This is a story about a Jewish couple. They were married. They didn't think they could have children. Finally, they were able to have a child. And it says they named him Mordecai. He was rambunctious and zestful gulping down the days and dreaming through the nights. He grew in age and wisdom and grace and until and until it was time to go to the synagogue and, and now it was time to go to the synagogue and learn the word of God. So the night before his studies were to begin, his parents sat him down and said, this is important. The word of God is important. And they stressed that without the word of God, Mordecai would be an autumn leaf in the winter's wind. He listened wide-eyed. Yet the next day, He never arrived at the synagogue. (laughs) Instead, he found himself in the woods, swimming in the lake and climbing the trees. And when he came home that night, the news had spread throughout the small village and everyone knew of his shames. His parents were beside himself. They didn't know what to do. So they called in the behavior modificationists to modify Mordecai's behavior until there was no behavior of Mordecai that was not modified. Nevertheless, the next day he found himself in the woods, swimming in the lake, climbing the trees, not at the synagogue, learning the word of God. 
So then they called in the psychoanalyst who unblocked Mordecai's blockages. So there were no more blocks for Mordecai to be blocked by. Nevertheless, he found himself the next day swimming in the lake and climbing the trees, but not at the synagogue, learning the word of God. His parents grieved for their beloved son. And at this time, the great rabbi visited the village. And the parents said, perhaps the rabbi. So they took Mordecai to the rabbi and they told them their tale of woe. The rabbi bellowed, leave the boy with me and I will have a talking with him. Well, it's bad enough that Mordecai would not go to the synagogue, but to leave their beloved son alone with this lion of a man was terrifying. However, they'd come this far, so they left him. Now Mordecai stood in the hallway and the great rabbi stood in the parlor and he beckoned. Boy, come here. Trembling Mordecai came forward, and the great rabbi picked him up, and he held him silently against his heart. His parents came to get Mordecai, and they took him home, and the next day he went to the synagogue to learn the word of God. And when he was done, he went to the woods, and the word of God became one with the words of the woods, which became one with the words of Mordecai. And he swam in the lake, and the word of God became one with the words of the lake. And Mordecai himself grew up to become a great man. People who were seized with panic came to him and found peace. People who were without anyone came to him and found communion. People with no exits came to him and found a way out. And when they came to him, he said, I first learned the word of God when the great rabbi held me silently against his heart. In John, in John 13, there's a line that says, the disciple that Jesus loved was reclining next to Jesus and he leaned back on Jesus's breast. And Brenning Manon writes, we must not hurry past the scene in search of deeper revelation, or we'll miss a magnificent insight. John lays his head on the heart of God. This passage should not be reduced to historical memory. It can become a personal encounter, radically affecting our understanding of who God is and what our relationship with Jesus is meant to be. think that many of us forget to lay our head on the breast of Jesus to hear his heartbeat. These scriptures are his heartbeat for us. The Bible, it's our treasure. I was thinking about the parable, wasn't it you that spoke on the parable? of the treasure that was buried in the field. Terry, you did. Sorry. <laughs> credit where credit is due. <laughs> I think that's just such a beautiful example 
we're just walking along, we're doing our thing, we're wiping the sweat off our brow, we're plowing, we're tilling away, and all of a sudden there's like this little clink, clunk. It's enough to like get down and what was that? There's a little bit of curiosity and you start digging and you dig some more and that anticipation builds and all of a sudden you're like, hey, there's a handle and you yank that handle out and it's a jar and you pull off the lid and inside it is treasure. It is gold, it is diamonds, it is ruby earrings. That's what this is, it is a treasure. And that farmer, he had a single-minded focus. He was gonna figure out how to make that treasure his. How could he buy the land so it could become his? And I just feel like so often we just lose that, we lose that single-minded focus and we forget that this is our treasure. I think another thing that is important when we read the scriptures too is something that I feel like I just notice is that Jesus, as he is speaking, is constantly helping us see that there the scriptures are not, this is my cheesy saying, but not about the me, but about the we, right? So he could have constantly, Jesus himself, could have drawn the attention to himself, but he didn't. He made it about the kingdom of God. He pointed to the Father. He pointed to the Holy Spirit. He pointed to the kingdom that we have at hand. He enlarged our vision. He enlarged our perspective. He said, it's not just about you, it's about the we. And, um, he said, we've, we've got to care for the orphans and take care of the widows and love the tax collectors and do all these things that it's not about the me. This is about teaching us how to love the we. And in all honesty, I think I'm someone that's a little more hardwired to, I, I'm, I'm really jazzed by the we. <laughs> and I think there's people who are less hardwired. But there are plenty of things in the Bible that I'm not hardwired to do. I mean, I feel like it's sort of like saying, I don't know, I don't need oxygen. I don't need gravity. That's not for me. Um, the we is for all of us. And um, that is something that I feel like really draws me to these scriptures is looking at the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength. Okay, the way that we obey that greatest commandment is by walking it out in the we. <laughs> we can't just do that in our own hearts, or if we do, surely out of the overflow of our hearts, there will be some interactions with the we. <laughs> and um, I just think that's a really interesting thing. I want you to just kind of sit with and ask yourself, is sort of, is the we part of scripture? Is that, is that a hard thing for you? Is it an easy thing for you? Is that an interesting thing to you? Because I think it was a really important thing to Jesus. And I think it's a really important thing in the scriptures. So in conclusion, I, I didn't give us a list of why we should love the scriptures in the sense of um, we should, we can be encouraged by them. It teaches us not to sin, and it helps 
relationships because we now know the will of God. I mean, all of you, I think, know that. If you want to go Google online all the reasons we should love scripture, you can go and easily find a list and go through the scriptures one by one. But I really want to leave you with this idea that like our hearts have to be captured, right? To fall in love, your heart has to be captured. And then I think there's an element of discipline, right? And sometimes the, and the love often grows through the discipline. But there's a moment where your heart is captured. And I just want you to ask yourselves, has your heart been captured for the scriptures? Because if it's been captured for Jesus, he's going to help you <laughs> capture it for the scriptures. In conclusion, it says, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The way he related to Peter, John, and Mary Magdalene is the way he relates today to us. The recovery of passion, the recovery of our heart starts with reappraising the value of treasure, the treasure of the scriptures. And it continues with letting the great rabbi hold us against his heart. Letting us hear his heartbeat for us. And it comes to fruition in a personal transformation of which we will not even be aware at every moment. I'm going to pray. Do you want to come? So I'm just going to say those questions one more time. And I want you to just say, Lord, what do you want to teach me? What do you want to show me? What words would you use to describe your relationship with scriptures? What are some moments or events that have been shaped by scripture? How authoritative are the scriptures in your life and, and what do you grant authority? What are some absolutes in scriptures for you? Absolute beliefs or muddy spaces? And why should we love the scriptures?